podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. If you haven't played Paddy Power Fantasy yet, you're missing out. But on the upside, if you haven't played it yet, you qualify for a risk-free first go. Get up to £20 back as cash when you play Paddy Power Fantasy. And because every NFL game day is a season in itself, you don't have to wait to find out if you've won. Paddy Power Fantasy. Hate waiting, love winning. New customer offer. Min £5, max £20 refund. T's and C's apply. Paddy Power Fantasy rules apply. 18 plus begumbleware.org. Welcome to the Nat Coombs Show presented by Paddy Power Fantasy. Good to have you with us, gang. And we have got a jam-packed show for you. Of course, we have looking back at the big game at Wembley yesterday. JP Shadrick, no less, one of the Jags broadcasting crew, is going to be casting his eyes back over what was ultimately a disappointing end uh, of the London series for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Is it the end of the season for the Jacksonville Jaguars? That's a question that I'll be asking JP shortly. We're going to be checking in very soon with Ben Isaacs looking back at all the Week 9 action, the key stories. What a win for the Baltimore Ravens. What a defeat for the Green Bay Packers. All kinds of other stuff going on we will get into getting you up to speed on all the stories that you need to know. If you haven't already, incidentally, gang, follow us on social media at the NC Show Facebook Instagram, Twitter, all kinds of stuff rolling out all season long. And don't forget, we're dropping four episodes a week on the show. By the way, it was great to see so many of you down at Wembley yesterday. What a day we had. And it was brilliant to hear from so many of you coming up and saying you're enjoying the show. Uh, you're subscribing, downloading, all that good stuff. So we really uh, appreciate that. And I hope you enjoyed the broadcast as well. Right, let's get the show on the road. Check in with Ben Isaacs. Hey, Ben, how are you? I'm fantastic. How are you, Nat? Don't lie to me. You can't be fantastic, Ben Isaacs, <laughs> when your Chicago Bears are that bad. Do you, do you know what? I try, I try not to let the teams I support get me down. The only mm. thing that really gets me is my, my daughter's football team. She's eight and I'm the co-manager of Petswood under nines. And if, if they lose a game, I feel really bad because, you know, the girls want to win. It's all about enjoying it. But, you know, that's something. As it is, thankfully, we're unbeaten this season. I say, oh, we, listen to me break. taking the credit. It's terrible. It's all down to their strategy. You're in <laughs> I love yeah, I've got this innovative one-two-one formation. Have the Bears got so bad uh, offensively that they are now... Uh, are you in that place where you're quite comfortable with it because you know the season's done and it's quite funny in the way you're watching a bad film and you're annoyed that you spent money on a bad film, but it's like the devil's advocate with Pacino and Keanu Reeves. Yeah, I love Pacino, yeah. but has it got to has it got to the devil's advocate it, stage it, yet? It it has it has got to that. It's like it's it's they're so bad and so ridiculous, and it's like the the pressure's off now. You you know any Super Bowl expectations, any playoff expectations are out the window, and it's just okay. Let's let's see what hilariously bad thing they can do. But I, I'm, the thing that I'm still bitter about is that you only get one 100th anniversary and it's the Bears 100th season and they've spoiled it. And my daughter got to go to her first Bears game this season and they spoiled it. If it wasn't for those two things, I think, okay, it's a zombie season. I can just have a bit of a laugh about it. There's, plenty of other things to enjoy in the NFL. You don't have to just watch your own team, obviously, and I'd be in trouble if I did. <laughs> so I'm I'm trying to just be like, okay, it's bad, but we're going to move on. That is my big problem with Mitchell Trubisky is that he broke your little girl's heart. Earlier, oh, <laughs> earlier I will, and she loves him. Answers she, for that. 
she loves Trubisky. She's, she always calls him Biscuits and she's a big <laughs> fan. And when, when he's on the scrap heap for 18 months from now, she's not going to understand it. <laughs> he's so, Joey Harrington and I love Joey. Right, let's get into uh, a far more important game with uh, due respect to uh, the Bears. And hey, the, we've got to remember that the Eagles' victory means they're right back in it as well. But the headline act, of course, uh, of the week nine games was the Sunday night win for the Baltimore Ravens. Absolutely. Fireworks night came early. Shit, big time. <laughs> Shellacking the Patriots. Now, a, a lot of people called this. They thought that uh, they, this could be a win for the Ravens just to open up things a little bit and look to the ground game in particular where the Patriots have been burnt the week before, of course, and it's such a potent rushing offense for the Ravens. It, interesting how they did it, really. Obviously, dominating time of possession. Ingram had a, a big game, 150 yards that was his best uh certainly for the last five or, or six weeks and Lamar Jackson uh mixing it up again getting some ground game uh going four offensive touchdowns for the Patriots laying it on the best defense in the NFL so suddenly things are wide open and suddenly Ben the New England Patriots are fallible after all yeah like I had a sneaky feeling that the Ravens were going to perhaps not win, but just push the Patriots so hard that they'd, there'd be some late game heroics. But it, it wasn't that. Obviously, the Ravens built built that big lead. But I loved how they responded when the Patriots had cut the lead to four at the start of the second half. Mm. And Lamar Jackson made a beautiful throw on, I think it was third and five, got them like 18 yards. And then they started rolling again. And it was it was like they'd had they'd had a bit of a wobble. And Lamar Jackson had said, look, Come on, guys. We know we've got this. And they just control the clock as, as well as anyone. And they just just took the life out of that game for the Patriots and just kept running the ball down their throats. And like last week, most of us um, were prepared to see Cleveland's success on the ground against the Patriots as like an aberration. But and maybe it wasn't. It was an area of weakness again today. And they were stacking the box at times against Baltimore. It's not like they didn't try to scheme against it. They weren't caught out. They just couldn't get it done. You know, Lamar Jackson, we know what, we know what he can do. And he's now on pace. I think he's got 637 yards and the record for a quarterback rushing in a season is 1039 held by Michael Vick, obviously. And he's halfway, he's more than halfway there with still half the season to go. And let's be honest, this is an MVP style season from Lamar Jackson. He's this- definitely, he's definitely got to be in the mix. We were chatting about this in, uh, on the, the live game show yesterday. The MVP discussion came up and all the usual suspects that many of us have been talking about for most of the seasons are Dalvin Cook and McCaffrey and Rogers, of course, all those, all those coming in. Uh, Lamar Jackson, one of the viewers fired in and it's got a divided opinion. So look, he's a, Great player, but really MVP? Is he really in that discussion? You know, fast forward nine hours and, and that performance and, and he's got to be, but you know, just not just what he was able to, uh, deliver individually, uh, but I guess, you know, in terms of his productivity, but holding his nerve, as you say, in that and not, you know, not being phased by the occasion, um, which was uh, for me reminiscent uh, in many respects of Mahomes last year in that game against the Patriots, which the, the Chiefs lost ultimately. But he just wasn't faced. He didn't stand down, didn't back down. And you knew then that he's the, the real deal here. And I think, you know, this in many respects is a, a coming of age game for, for Lamar Jackson to go up against the Patriots, to go up against Brady, uh, and to, to dominate in this, in this fashion, I think is, is really significant. He has to be in the MVP race. So where does, what does this do for the AFC discussion? Because all season long, we've been saying pretty much, it's the Patriots, the Chiefs, and then everybody else. Does this mean now that you're putting the Ravens up with the two of them? Is it easy to 
overreact to a, a brilliant performance and you still see fundamental flaws in this Ravens side. What does this result do for the AFC pecking order, Ben? Um, it, for me, it puts the Patriots at a number two nestled just behind New England. I would right now... Put the Ravens the, number two. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Put the Ravens just behind the Patriots in the number two spot. Mm. That's that's not to say I think that at the end of the season necessarily they would be ahead of the Chiefs in people's minds because I think the Chiefs sort of turned a corner and we'll get onto that obviously. But this was perhaps the most impressive performance by a Super Bowl contender all season. You're right what you say about Lamar Jackson. He wasn't, he wasn't phased at all. He had the chance to be phased when the Patriots came, were starting to come back and he wasn't at all. And they are going to need that in January because these are two teams that are potentially on a collision course again. If you were told right now that the AFC championship was going to be in Foxborough and the Ravens were going to be there, you wouldn't think, Oh, that's crazy. This is, this is how it looks. Obviously the Chiefs have got a lot to say about that. Well, the Ravens have got the North locked down now, haven't they? You'd like, you'd like to think so. I mean, extraordinary happening because obviously the Bengals and the Browns are out of it and the Steelers are what, 500. So yeah, I mean, uh, they're what, how many full game? Uh, six and two, the Ravens. So yeah, a long way ahead already and divisionally ahead. So interdivisionally ahead so I, yeah. extraordinary if the Ravens capitulated and if they did then you know that kind of answers our question anyway yeah. they're not going to contend in the playoffs so yeah it's whether they get I just I mean realistically the, the vanilla schedule that the Patriots have it's hard to see that the championship game not being in Foxborough so oh, out wow. of the Chiefs or the Ravens heading to Foxborough in that game Mahomes fit again who do you think has the, the better chance of pulling off the road with? I actually, I actually think, I see think the Ravens. Um, Why? But not by much. I just trust the Ravens defense a bit more than I trust the Chiefs defense. Mm. Um, and psychologically knowing that they can beat the Patriots and not just sneak past them, but to control the game in that way. I mean, the 37 points they gave up is the most allowed by the Patriots on the road since week four of 2014 right. when they lost 41-14 to the Chiefs. Now, a lot of people might not remember that game, but the reason it always sticks in my head is that it's the one that a couple of days later when Belichick was giving his news conference when he kept saying, we're on to Cincinnati. Yes, of course. We're on to Cincinnati. And that was the one. So the last time anything like this happened was then. So that's, that's, how, that's how big a deal this is to me worth pointing out, of course, in that Patriots season, they did go on to win that Super Bowl. So. <laughs> well, exactly. Let's look at uh, the positives of the Patriots because they need, they need cheering up, right? But yeah. the, so Sunny settled in fairly well there because I think a lot of people have uh, suggested that this is an imbalanced and imperfect offense, right? They've, they've built this success so far on this great defense, which as, as you said, quite right. the Ravens just, just took it to them in that respect. And offensively, I think, the, the Ravens were getting so much pressure on Brady and, and rattling him in that respect. But on a positive level, you've got Edelman uh, stepping up once again, Sanu as well. The ground game uh, has to be a concern, I guess, uh, for them at the moment. But do you think that uh, the acquisition of Sanu, Josh Gordon going, of course, is kind of where they were, maybe marginally better? Or do you think that he might, based on the small sample size, might end up being the missing piece to give them a, a more complete and balanced uh, offense. Because looking at the white was the leading rusher with, he had a score, of course, but 38 yards off nine attempts. They just couldn't really get, didn't really try to establish any kind of ground game. No, I I think Mohamed Sanu, if anyone's going to be the missing piece now, then he seems like he's perfectly 
place for that. Mm. I think we're going to get sort of peaks and troughs with him. I don't think he's necessarily going to kind of, I think what we saw last night isn't necessarily an aberration, but I don't think it's going to be a, a, a consistent thing. I think if Patriots fans are thinking, okay, he's going to be the guy from here on out, they may be a little bit disappointed, but I still think they're a, they're a well-balanced team. And the thing is, good teams still have bad games. And I don't think, Absolutely. I don't think we can look at the Patriots and necessarily see that there are terrible flaws in that team. It happened to be that, that, um, that run defense, which got, ex- has been exposed at certain points this season was just torn apart. Do you trust Bill Belichick to, to fix, fix that, that problem? Yeah. More I, than any other coach in the NFL. Exactly. So they are still, if you know, if, if you're a Patriots fan looking for positives, Here's your main positive. You are still going to be the top seed in the AFC, barring something crazy happening. The road to the Super Bowl still has to go through Foxborough. You still have the greatest quarterback of all time. You still have the greatest coach of all time. So just chill. Chill, guys. Honestly, it could be so much worse. Just, just drop Belichick an email saying that, mate. I think he'd appreciate that right about now. <laughs> the, um, the final thing as well, I guess, is the removal of that pressure uh, being unbeaten, which you can imagine certainly a coach like Belichick and an organization like the Patriots are going to feel slightly relieved that that distraction and that, uh, not that they would feel the pressure necessarily, but the, but the constant reference to it as the season rolls on. And we've of course seen this in the past um, with the Belichick era Patriots side you kind of think, well, you know, maybe, uh, maybe it's not the worst thing altogether from that perspective that, uh, they are now no longer have the potential to to go unbeaten and be the perfect side. Similarly, you think when you look at um, this Belichick, uh, the, this current era, but I suppose it's been true of all of the uh, most of the Belichick Patriots era. Anyway, the idea that the Patriots are going to any team is going to lose a game on purpose is is absurd. But the <laughs> idea that Belichick is going to look at it just as you said and think. Plenty of champions lose games. Let's not get carried away. Let's look at exactly what uh, the issues were here. And it's the, it's the run defense I've got to fix. I'll fix that and it's fine. I'll move on. I'll adjust in it. it, it I guess embracing, uh, at least certainly not freaking out over the fact that this victory might do more good than harm in the long run. It will force them to sharpen their pencils to look at certain weaknesses and equally give the opposition and the, and the chasing pack and the contenders a little bit of confidence that might come back to haunt them. So you can see that I think anyway that Belichick isn't going to be uh, well aggrieved about the defeat. Too concerned about it. Um, no, plenty, plenty of Super Bowl teams have, have lost a mid-season game, used that to improve. And uh, Bill Belichick, obviously, you won't have wanted to lose the game, and he'll, you know, the classic thing of taking one game at a time. He looks at each game in isolation. He'll be disappointed that his game plan did not work, but he will relish the chance to use this game as a, as a learning tool for the rest of the team. The likes of Tom Brady, they'll have heard it all before, but there will be younger players who could really do with kind of getting a rocket from Bill Belichick and showing you've achieved absolutely nothing. And as much as I'm sure everyone associated with the Patriots would love to have a 19 and 0 season to kind of get the taste out of, um, taste out of their mouth of the very disappointing 18 and 1 season that ended in a Super Bowl defeat. I think it helps them not having that. Let's, let's say they'd gone 16 and 0. All the talk, all the talk would have been, 
will they flop again? Exactly, exactly right. This is why I don't think Belichick is that worried about it. I think all he cares about is winning the Super Bowl. And look, who the hell knows unless you've got an insight into precisely his perspective on it. But everything, all the evidence points to the fact I don't think he cares really about that. It would be great if they did it, but the pressure and the focus that particularly going into the playoffs and God, can you imagine the Super Bowl? Uh, he he would find that an unnecessary distraction. Everything we know about Foxborough, there's no backslapping, photos up, memorabilia are up when you walk in. It's a, no, no, straight back down to business. We've spoken to do, do your job. I mean, job. whenever it goes into the playoffs, we will always say, look, the Patriots know this inside out. Belichick knows this inside out. They have every advantage. But if it was, if they were 16 and 0, all of a sudden it would be like, will they fail? Instead of it being, how will the Patriots win this, which is kind of the narrative every other time they're in the playoffs, it would be, will this go wrong? And it just totally turns the whole thing on its head. This game will do them no harm whatsoever. And if they come, if they come up against the Ravens, um, in the, in the postseason, which I've got a feeling they will, they will be able to learn from it. Mm. Nothing. As, as bad as a defeat is, this is not going to cost the Patriots, I don't think, in any, any way. The Ravens got a lot from it, but I don't think the Patriots lose much from it. Okay, well, let's move on to the Kansas City Chiefs, the other top seed in uh, the AFC, and a huge win for them. 26-23, the final over the Vikings. The big story going into the game was whether they were going to gamble and risk Patrick Mahomes, who... Uh, isn't a hundred percent fit and they didn't, uh, they, they rode with the Matt Moore hand and, uh, and it paid off and then some, uh, Mahomes looked pretty fit actually when Harrison Butker had kicked the winning field goal, the winning 44 <laughs> yard field goal. Mahomes was just piling in on everybody he could on, on the field. Probably Andy Reid having kittens watching that. Um, but it, it, the implication being there, I think Mahomes will be good to go next time based on what, what we saw there. Proved to be the right decision though to be cautious, holding back Matt Moore. Hell of a backup. We knew that before he's had this brief cameo this season, uh, representing that again with a little help, of course, or significant help from Tyreek Hill, who had six catches, 140 yards. Damian Williams as well, um, 125 yard day, 91 yard score, of course, being, uh, uh, the bulk of that. So another explosive performance from some of the key protagonists in this Chiefs offense, irrespective of Mahomes. And another example of Kirk Cousins blowing a big game just when the Vikings needed him to turn it around and carry them home. Yeah, I, this was a must win for the Chiefs. And I don't think that can be stressed enough. Early in the season on your Friday show, we joked about the fact that 2-0 and is better than 1-1, and <laughs> which is better than 0-2. Oh, oh, yeah. Bad. Yep. But... The, the Chiefs have gone to six and three rather than four to five and four, which would have put them in a kind of big muddle at the, in the kind of middle of the AFC. And although I would have still expected them to make the playoffs, they'd be so far behind the, um, the other top teams. They'd have to be on the road the whole time. And Arrowhead is a, is a great home stadium and it would, it would prevent them from hosting any playoff games. They need Mahomes back starting because Matt Moore was fine, but his ceiling is low and we've seen that ceiling. And yes, I'm aware that Mahomes has lost a couple of games this season, but there's only, there's only so far that they're going to be able to go with Matt Moore under center. Kirk Cousins, maybe it's the same thing uh, for the Vikings. He was so frustrating. So he missed that on his first ever fourth quarter comeback win. And at one point, this is the bit that I, I love, I like to kind of keep re-watching this. At one point, he's caught on camera, taking off his helmet angrily and shouting, I'm trying! Now, I'm not sure what he'd been asked to do, but 
listen, guys, he's really trying out there, you guys. Okay, so let's not be too hard on Kirk Cousins because he's really trying. Trying, he's trying. What they always catch Kirk Cousins saying some <laughs> chicken thing that ends up as a gift for ages. Yeah, I mean, he had that crucial. Uh, I mean, it's it's a textbook opportunity, and uh, one of the guys on NFL.com was emphasizing this point that the game was in his hands to win, and that's what uh, great quarterbacks do. You know, a couple of minutes, mastermind the drive, get the job done, and and he couldn't do it. There were. Other things to bear in mind, the Chiefs defense, and you referenced this earlier on, and they are a malign defense and capable of giving up a lot on, on both sides of the ball. Uh, they held Dalvin Cook uh, to a relatively quiet game uh, for him. Uh, and you've got to, I guess, take positives, uh, or a lot of positives, uh, Chiefs fans from that outside of the win that the defense held up in that respect. Um, but nevertheless, yeah, this was a game that the Vikings coulda, shoulda, woulda. So where does this leave you on the Chiefs then? If you go and, and tie that to the West with the Raiders winning again, and I've got a question about the Raiders for you as well in a minute. Mm-hmm. Chargers not done and dusted. It gives them a bit of breathing space at the top there with Mahomes back. You'd, you'd assume they're going to go on and, and roll through outside of the divisional battle though, but back to what we were saying earlier on in the deep depths of the, of the playoff race. What have you made of, of the Chiefs winning despite Mahomes being out? Um, it's been, it's been impressive actually, because I, they've had to kind of lean on other areas of strength. There's, there's no way they're going to go on a deep run without Mahomes. We, we know that, but they've shown, they've shown what they can do. Like, I mean, like, like you say, the way that they bottled up Dalvin Cook. Now the, be kind of making lanes for him like they normally do, but a lot of that is down to what down to what the Chiefs were doing. So you know, credit there because the Chiefs have been quite easy to run on. This this Chiefs team, this this may be the most important win of the season, and they've done that without Mahomes. It's kept everything ticking over, keeps the arrow pointing up with surging teams behind them um, in LA and Oakland, and. This, they're still the team to beat in the AFC West, and they they were kind of showing everything that they can that they can do. Damian Williams, you know, the running game has been disappointing. Is Damian Williams the answer? To I don't know, but they want they need to be able to give Mahomes a bit of a break at times and be able to kind of run the ball, and slow the games down. Well, let's talk about, you mentioned the, the Raiders surging and certainly involved in a, in a thriller against Detroit. We suspected it would be actually. We thought it would be a, a shootout. Tom Deacon in the house on Friday. We were getting into that and seeing points on the board. We certainly got them 55 to be precise. The Raiders winning 31 at 24 in that shootout. Another chapter in the, uh, bittersweet season for Matt Stafford, who's having a hell of a year and uh, maybe a, a career-defining year in terms of productivity, but is probably not going to get much to show for it other than uh, individual plaudits and stats. He threw for three more touchdowns over 400 yards uh, once again. Uh, Kenny Golladay uh, amongst uh, the recipients against the passing offense, despite very little happening on the ground for the Lions, uh, continuing to be impactful, but it wasn't enough. Uh, the Raiders outgunning them. Josh Jacobs stepping up uh, once again, another 100-yard-plus game for him, a couple of scores. Uh, and we love this young Raiders offense, this young Raiders side, uh, frankly, that had so little uh, expect, there was so little expectation for them at the start of the season. Uh, and they had that win in London and then seemed to blow their season with back-to-back defeats, suddenly right back in it. And in an AFC, whether they're going to catch the Chiefs or not, at 4-4, four and four, they are right in the mix for a wild card. You know, if there's, if there's two things that can kind of doom a promising season, it's having 
lots and lots of young players, which will generally make it difficult to win and having a schedule, which is unfavorable, not just the teams you're playing, but the constant road trips. The Raiders have got both those things against them. One of the youngest teams in the league and they had 48 days of being unable to play a home game. And yet here they are four and four, eighth overall in the AFC standings and only just behind Indianapolis, who Indianapolis, you know, um, have been beaten by the Raiders. The the Raiders, I, I can't believe we're saying this is November. The Raiders are a legitimate playoff prospect. I think they have. I think I've been, you know, not getting carried away with the Bears game, but I, I, I've been saying that for a little while now. I think I think they are because the AFC is so wide open in, in, in that respect in terms of the wild card race. You know, nine and seven record might do it because I know the Bills won again. And Bills fans will uh, be, uh, I'm sure, getting in touch with me on social media, but I'm not sure they are legit. Um, or certainly, I don't think they're going to run away with with one of the wild cards uh, on the basis that the Patriots, as we uh, would imagine, are not going to capitulate mm-hmm. and win the AFC East. So I'm not sure it is a case of whether there's any one of the wild cards to play for in the AFC. And as a result, I think, yeah, for sure, they're they're in the mix. I mean, who else are we talk about? The Chargers, maybe they might. Nine and seven should probably do it. Looking at someone from the South that doesn't win it, I guess. And, and that's probably going to be either the Colts or the Texans now that the Jaguars lost. And then, and then what someone from, from the West, either the Raiders or the Bills, I guess. Yeah. And I, I, if you're, if you're a Raiders fan and the Raiders do not make the playoffs this season, they kind of just miss out. You really must not be downhearted by right. that. Right. Obviously most Raiders fans went in with low expectations. You know, the start of the season was ridiculous. Not, not just the Antonio Brown, but every season when your team is on hard knocks, everything is just amplified and everything just seems ridiculous. And it's, it's very easy to kind of have a laugh at Gruden's expense, but he's clearly been very savvy and this, he's building a team for the future. This is a team that, you know, could be a, could be an actual contender a year or two down the line. You know, there's all this talk about whether they would get rid of Carr and try and draft a kind of have a splashy move in the draft. And, you know, people were talking about, will they get the first overall pick and will they pick Tua? Mm. And now we're here four and four. And they could be in the playoffs. What that means for David Carr and what that means for next season, who knows? But if you were someone in Las Vegas who's already bought a season ticket for the Raiders, you're getting a very different team next season than you thought you were going to get. You bought high, uh, you bought a low <laughs> rather, and bought early during business. Um, yeah. Now, we mentioned the Chargers. It absolutely shellacking the Green Bay Packers. Again, without uh, patting ourselves on the back and uh, giving our tummies a rub, we said on the Friday show, this could be a trap game for the Packers, and it turned out to be, uh, particularly how they managed to completely shut down the Packers' offense. Right, That was uh, uh, extraordinary stuff from from this uh, LA Chargers Dean Joey Bosa uh, right in the mix there. Melvin Ingram as well uh, should uh, get props as well. The... Uh, the narrative from this is what, Ben? Let's not get carried away in the same way we're not with the Patriots' defeat, or is there cause for concern that, that the Green Bay were turned over? And furthermore, is this Green Bay defense, was that overrated at the start of the season and starting to revert to, to, to maybe where we thought it would be? I think it probably was a little bit overrated. Um in the just in in the way that they were they seemed so spectacularly good when they had not been good at all in the in last season. The the issue, I think, is that if Aaron Rodgers is unable to get things done that he wants to get done, this offense just grinds to a grinds to a halt. Now, 
no matter what game he plays, Aaron Rodgers wants to be the best, even if that game is the blame game, or perhaps especially the blame game. He was in the press conference and saying, you know, we've got to be honest about our routine and decisions we made in the last 48 hours and make sure that our heads are in the right place the next time we come on a big road trip. Mm. So uh, presumably he's not setting that routine. It feels like once again, He's not particularly happy with coaches. He says, whether it was the trip, not everybody taking care of themselves the right way over the last two days, or we were just tired, or the differences in temperature, but those are just excuses. I feel like he's putting these things out there, saying, some of my teammates were not doing what they should have been doing. I'm not happy with the routine that we were set by the coaches and team management. I think Rogers, I know this is kind of what we get from Rogers. If he's asked what's going wrong, he will kind of make these sort of passive aggressive remarks about, mm-hmm. about teammates. I don't think it's a great habit. And he didn't play well yesterday. And I mean, it's not like he's there saying oh, I was great. Everyone else messed up, but I would prefer it if he just, when, when he was asked about kind of like what, how things went wrong, if he only focused on his own mistakes personally. Oh, although my favorite mistake, uh, Green Bay's Jair Alexander was asked after the game, what effect the loss would have on the Packers going forward? And he said, none. N-U-N. <laughs> now, I don't know if that means trying to tell us something. fans should be praying for a better performance or does the offense need to confess it's being carried almost totally by Aaron Rodgers? Uh, I don't know. I it do would actually- be great if, if an, an actual nun had appeared at that point <laughs> yeah, yeah. in front of the press back and, and then began to explain yeah. how bad uh, or otherwise it, it was. All right, so difficult day for Aaron Rodgers, but the Packers will ride again. Uh, Jacoby Brissett is the next story I want to talk about and the uh, Indianapolis Colts Brissett out of the game. So Brian Hoyer came in, injured, hurt his knee. They are hoping it's not going to be particularly serious, the Colts, uh, because, of course, he's been in brilliant form, but it certainly had a significant impact in the game uh, against the Steelers, which uh, was a tight one as far as the Lions were concerned. And uh, Indianapolis um, certainly were in it uh, right till the death, but the Steelers' 26-24 win uh, in the end, courtesy of Adam Vinatieri, automatic Adam Vinatieri, one of the game's greats, uh, missing what would have been a, a potentially game-winning uh, field goal. Uh, now, uh, not necessarily on Vinatieri in particular. The stat wasn't great. I think it was Laces, uh, Laces facing him, right? Which was yeah. never a way you want to be when you're a, a kicker. Um, but nevertheless, a frustrating afternoon for the Colts and concerns, of course, in the short term anyway, with no Brissette. Yeah, I'm, it would have been a different game with Brissett. It was it was sad to see. And they've got two home games coming up now against Miami and Jacksonville, which are winnable with Hoyer if Brissett can't play. They don't need to rush him back if those games can be won by Hoyer, which they probably can. They, they think he's got an MCL sprain. Nothing has been confirmed yet. And if it's an MCL sprain, you're looking at anywhere from one week to eight weeks out. It depends if the ACL is affected. Obviously, they're going to get a proper look. But, you know, Hoyer versus Rudolph is no luck versus, versus Rosselsberger, is it? It's, I, I, I'm going to give a shout out to Brian Hoyer. He became, he became the fifth player in NFL history throwing a pass with seven or more different teams. He's done it for the Patriots, for the Cardinals, for the Browns, for the Texans, for the Bears, for the 49ers, and now the Colts. What a legend. Get that guy in Canton. 
Vinny Testaverde, Chris Chandler, Gus Verrott are the others on seven and obviously and Ryan Fitzpatrick on eight. All heading, all four of those heading to Canton. I think we should yeah. debate that as a hot take on our Friday videos. Uh, <laughs> just find out and see if we can wind up people on YouTube. Um Okay, let's uh, let's talk Browns next. The big story coming out of the Browns, other than another defeat for them, of course, was uh, Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham being told to change their cleats at half time, <sighs> um, which I, in many people's eyes represents the absolute undiluted dysfunction with this uh, with this franchise, which was the writing on the wall. Were we everybody getting carried away with it? People talking up the Super Bowl. Was it was it just a given that uh, this was going to happen? And does this mean the end? Do you think now for Freddie Kitchens? Now it's pretty clear that their season is done. Um, the season is done, but I think Freddie Kitchens just he's got to be given another season. He was given, you know, to if he was in a kitchen, he's been given a lot of ingredients that don't necessarily work together, but. I think you've got to give him another season to figure out, do a little bit more shopping and see if he can make something that's palatable. Cause at the moment it's pretty disgusting. Um, my favorite, know, really, do you think that given I, 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 the I just amount think, of talent he's got here, do you, I know he's a first year head coach, you know, the interim period, notwithstanding, right? So first year proper head coach. And I'm more for giving coaches a bit of time, you know, I'm the strong advocate and it's not knee jerk reaction, yanking, after after one season and just particularly in the NFL I love that about the NFL compared to other sports is that usually teams give head coaches time to, to grow into the role and, and accept that and we remember that Belichick was not a successful head coach for, for a long time right and so yeah. if, you, if you persevere uh, but then I'm not sure Freddie Kitchens has built Belichick to be honest and I just don't know whether you have to look at the collection of talent he's got and I know they've been banged up on the secondary I get that and I get Beckham they haven't worked out how to use him and Mayfield still uh, you know sophomore year troubles all of these things but they should be better off than they are. I just, I just don't know if he can win the locker room around or at least get them playing uh, to the level that they should be when you look at this combination of talent. There. There, there, there's a lot, there is a lot of talent there. And obviously he's, you know, the, the blame has to, has to fall on him. When it comes to somebody losing their job or not at this stage, kind of after one full season, I'd want to know, whether he has lost the locker room, whether the, whether the players are still responding and still fighting for him. I would say if they, if they are, and people in the organization should be able to know that if, if they are, then I think you've got to just give him a, a bit more time because it's a very, it's still a very small sample size. Now, are players going off the rails? Is he, is he losing them? Maybe. I mean, Jermaine Whitehead is not a prominent player for the Browns, but he was all over social media um, last night, basically threatening to shoot people who were criticizing him on social media. And somebody, somebody had criticized him and he came back implying that he would shoot him. And the response that this uh, guy gave was, you'd probably miss. So it's, there were problems. <laughs> yeah. Was there that were, you? Was that guy? Oh, no, was no. That guy no. Mike Carson? No, if, <laughs> if, if I think someone might actually own a gun, I don't do that. <laughs> very wise. Very um, wise. So things, things are problematic there. I personally would, would give, would give him the benefit of the doubt, give him at least two full seasons, unless it's obvious that the, the players are going absolutely wild and that they are. They have no respect for him. Would you give Matt Nagy another season? I think you have to because 
he is someone who took them to the playoffs in the first season. He was coach of the year. And I think if you go, if you go two seasons without the playoffs and you've got talent, then you can expect the boots. Obviously the Bears are not going to make the playoffs this season. And I think the Bears will give him the opportunity to turn it around in season three. And if he doesn't do it, then he'll be gone. And I think the same thing applies to Trubisky. I would imagine Trubisky will still be starting quarterback next season. You know, they haven't got anyone else better at the moment. Um, I would expect both of those to be starting the season next year, but they will be on their last chance. Yeah, so you're happy with, that's two different questions, I guess, whether they will keep Nagy and Trubisky and whether you're happy that they're going to keep Nagy and Trubisky. Um, I'm not massively happy because I'm still angry and annoyed and I kind of want somebody to suffer but I think I'm happy with them staying because it's it's the sensible option it's not the it's not the knee-jerk option you know Matt Nagy um, likes to consider himself an offensive genius and this season he clearly hasn't been but he was he was good last year and Trubisky has regressed but maybe maybe last season is the true reflection of of them and we can find out we can find out next year I think they have to be given another chance. Okay. Just uh, jumping back to that cleat story a minute. I was just reading a quote from Beckham uh, talking about it after the game. He said, when I have cleats on my feet, Ben, they can be hot pink, lime green. It's never going to affect me. Uh, what, <laughs> how would you feel with the hot pink cleats? How do you know what I'm wearing right now? <laughs> I just called it intuition. Yeah, no, um, I would, I would, I'm wearing a lot, I'm wearing black almost head to toe right now, apart from some trainers that are much brighter. And the Browns uniform, I think, is painfully ugly. And I think you, I think a bit of hot pink to set that off, I think, I think is great. More power to him. I think, if anything, that should make him play better because, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, it's like, uh, Deion Sanders would say, you know, if you, if you look good, you feel good, feel good, you play good. If you play good, they pay good. So, and the Browns pay good if you're Odell Beckham Jr. anyway. So yeah, go for the pink. I would happily be wearing bright pink trainers right now with this very black ensemble. You just gotta, now you've gotta have a bit of pop. You've outfit. always had pop. I've always said it. And, and you've you. always lived Thank up you. to that hype. Hey, uh, one more thing. Uh, the Miami Dolphins winning the victory over the New York Jets means that the Dolphins are not going to go winless this season. Hallelujah. Uh, are they blowing their chances of the number one pick here? Is it as we suspected it might be? The Dolphins are going to stumble and bumble and scratch and claw to a Two and fourteen, three and thirteen season, and hand the number one pick to the Bengals. You know, I still, I still think they're going to get this the number one pick because they've got less talent than anybody else. What I do like is there's a lot of pride and fight on this Dolphins team. I right. think they're hearing all this for their coach. Yeah, yeah, it's like they're hearing all this stuff, tanking for Tua and all this, and they've got fans there almost saying, "Yeah, please lose because we want to, we want, we want Tua." And it's getting them angry. And I like that. I, I think they've shown a lot of character. I was, um, I was, uh, chatting on text with, uh, the producer of this show, Ollie, um, before, oh, before, we, before, <laughs> before we recorded. And you I was know, expecting, I was chatting on with, uh, with, uh, Dan Marino, uh, 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 what's that before? I would never, I would never kiss and tell like that. Anything that Marino sends me is between me and him. It is not for ESPN broadcast. Um, and Marino obsessed with, uh, WhatsApp. Just caught, I mean, he's addicted. He is, but he's always asking me what color my trainers are. Chris, that's, that's, that's what thing. he cares about. Um, 
and we were talking about, you know, kind of whether, whether this will be, whether this plays into the Bengals hands. And I said, I right. think the Bengals are going to mess it up. I think they're going to accidentally win a couple of games because they've got more talent than the Dolphins. Um, I mean, what does this say about the Jets who are just an absolute mess? I think the Jets are in a worse position than the Dolphins in a way because the Dolphins, I think will still end up with that number one pick. And I think they can have a, a franchise changing quarterback at the end of it. I'm, I'm actually just really impressed with the Dolphins players attitude, which is not what we're getting in Cleveland. Big time. And I just think what are Cowboys fans thinking right about now, seeing as we've, uh, <laughs> what we see from the Jets over the last two weeks, what does that mean about that week six uh, defeat to them? I still, I still feel, that still feels like a fever dream. I still don't understand how that, how that happened because the, the Cowboys are really good. Oh, that's a great description. Uh, cracking work, Betty. It's always a pleasure catching up with you. Um, at Tweets from Ben, if our listeners want to follow you. And of course, you're going to be bringing some college startings, uh, on Wednesday's show. So we look forward to that and, uh, we will see you in the hot seat very soon. Cheers. See you soon, guys. Look after yourself, mate. And look after those cleats, those pink cleats. I will do. And I always keep them laced. I don't want to trip over. <laughs> very wise. Cracky stuff from Ben. We will move things swiftly along. JP Shadrick, part of the Jags broadcast team. They come over with the Jags team each and every year. Shame it didn't play out for them this time around. Let's find out about what that means for Jacksonville's season. JP Shadrick, you must be the hardest working man in showbiz because less than 24 hours ago, you were in London. You are now doing a radio, an impromptu radio call, incidentally, and you are now back in Jacksonville a couple of hours. Kip, and, you, and you're talking to us. Yeah, well, well, good morning. Uh, good to talk to you guys, man. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a little bit of a whirlwind. I think I got to Wembley yesterday. I guess that was yesterday now. Um, mm-hmm. Sunday morning at about 7.30, I got there. Um, I prepped for just some final prep for our pregame show here in Jacksonville. I was on the air at 11.30, and kickoff was at 2.30, and then I moved over to Talk Sport 2 and jumped on with those guys for uh, analysis of the game, and then... Came back at halftime for our halftime show, three tables away at Wembley, and did our halftime show in Jacksonville. <laughs> Came back for the second half, called the fourth quarter, and then went back to our table after that and did the first two segments of the postgame show, changed clothes real quick, ran down to the locker room, got on the bus, got on the plane, um, and when I got back, uh, we got back to Jacksonville about 2.30 in the morning, and I think I walked into my house at about 3.30. So it's been quite a day, and, um, hey, it, it, you know, and unfortunately, the team did not play well. It's a whirlwind. Yeah, really, really not. I mean, and you talk about that fourth quarter turnover central, of course, which is when um, uh, it was completely thrown away. Let's start with, why don't we start with what uh, in particular went wrong for you? Because I guess the front seven, in many respects, did everything they could. I mean, you know, there were times when Ngonkwe had Deshaun Watson around his ankles, around his waist, and this man is just uh, unstoppable. He's just kept uh, wheeling and dealing his way out of trouble. So maybe it wasn't so much on them, but certainly offensively there were there were a lot of concerns. Disappointed, I think, as, as much as London was, JP, to, to see Gardner Minshew uh, perform like that because there was he's been so dynamic and so galvanizing and just such an exciting character on and off the field, but it just didn't show up, did he, on Sunday? 
Yeah, that's true. We'll start with Minshew because that's the that's the biggest story right now on, on what happened yesterday. The four turnovers in the fourth quarter. When he was trying to press a little bit and try to jumpstart his team back into the game, I think some of those throws were just lofted a little bit. And there were times where you know you, you love that escapability and his his ability to make things happen on the move and and extend a play, but. You know, there were some times it just felt like he didn't have to run as much as he was having to, to that he was running and then throwing the ball down the field. So, you know, it was a poor performance on a huge stage. Now, the big question is, will he be the guy moving ahead? Doug Marone, the Jaguars head coach, said he's going to give it a couple of days, think about it this week, and he's going to tell both of those guys, Foles and or Minshew, on Sunday – uh, coming out of the bye week, going into next week, what the decision is. So he doesn't want to make a, a knee jerk decision on one bad performance, but it was a it was a big performance and it didn't go very well. So and will that you know, be? Do you think be, there'll be recency bias on this one, JP? Because they never. It's very hard to avoid that at the best of times. But do you think that it, let's say the Jacks had come to London, still lost the game, but Minshew hadn't particularly made the mistakes, and you're spot on with the certainly with those throws. I mean, he forced an issue. At the same time, I, I love the way he kept coming back despite them. I mean, the, the second interception was essentially trying exactly the same thing. And then when they got the ball back again, he threw a dime right down the middle of the field. So we loved that about him. But the, do you think that, that inevitably Marone and co are going to get affected by recency bias and that if actually it had been a Jags loss but an okay Minshew performance, he probably would have kept the gig? Or do you think uh, that he's not going to get affected by what he saw on Sunday too much? Well, I, I think that has a lot to do with what will happen here. And I, I, you know, and I think that's why he's not making the decision today. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, because if you make it a day, then Minshew's out. I mean, that's, that's kind of how that goes. He wants to see the big picture look. Can Gardner bounce back and can he make this thing sustainable and, and big games coming up after the bye week on the road in the division. Um, so for me, I mean, thinking today, I, it just feels like Foles is going to be the guy mm. because, the, you know, this offense was originally built for Nick. Uh, they had to adjust some things for Gardner to make it work, but now Foles is back. He's come off the bench in late seasons before. Uh, he has a veteran presence about him. Uh, so for me right now, if you're asking me on Monday, I think it's going to be Foles moving ahead here. Um, and it, but it's, it, I, I still think it's a toss up. Yeah. To be quite honest with you, the way Doug Marone thinks about this thing, he's going to give it the thorough thought it deserves, and he's going to make a decision, and they're going to move on. And he's not going to make that decision today on Monday. He's going to give it a week and see what gives his team a chance to win this season, and not just this season, but this month, because they have mm. to win these two division games coming up. Yeah, they're still they're still very much in the hunt. It's a it's a good point. Just on the the difference he pointed out between what happens next game versus next season and immediate short term versus mid to long term, does that have an impact on it? In the sense that if they want to go with Minshew long term for for various reasons, including financial, right, it's going to be the more the, the better value option there. Does it make sense then to put Foles back in the side so he's essentially in the shop window if they're looking at maybe dealing him in the off season or conversion? Firstly, if they want to deal Minshew, is it going to be uh, profitable for them to be looking at keeping him in the team back to the Minshew we saw earlier in the season, as opposed to his last piece of work being what we saw at Wembley on Sunday? So, I mean, how much do you think that actually has uh, a bearing in terms of the decision that's going to get made? I don't think it has a lot. I'll be quite honest with you. Uh, I don't think it has much at all. 
After hearing, uh, I, I had a chance to talk with Jags owner Shad Khan on Saturday mm. in London, right? And I asked him going into the game, what are your thoughts about the, the game? Just general toss-up, wrapping up the interview, right? And he laughed. He's like, well, we're in this business to win, and we want to win. Mm. And they didn't come close to winning on Sunday. And they're behind the eight ball in the division now. So I, for Doug Marone to make a decision like this, they better win now. And this is his third year. Uh, they've been to one playoff run in 2017. I'm not threatening anything. I'm just saying it like it is. I think he's got to win football games, and he can't worry about you know a year or two down the road. Let the decision makers that are responsible for that figure that out, right? And that's uh, Tom Coughlin, Dave Caldwell, Jags owner, Shad Khan, right? Doug Marone needs to win football games, and I think everybody around there needs to win football games, and they need to, they need to win them the rest of this season. And then you can figure it out because you, you're tied to Foles for a little while. You're not going to, unless you just somehow trade him, fine. But not, you know, that's not going to be a, an easy trade. Uh, and you like what Minshew can be. And there's some strong feelings that he could be a guy moving ahead. But, you know, moving ahead is not 2020 and 2021 right now. Moving ahead right, is right. November and December. And if you don't get through November and December, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen in 2020 and 2021 <laughs> around here. Talk to me about Leonard Fournette. He is one of the most frustratingly enigmatic characters in the NFL right now. Yeah, because it, it, unbelievable talent. And we knew that pretty much from the the moment he landed in the NFL. He's had injury issues, of course. I know he's had off the field uh, issues as well, uh, to an extent. And he just blows so hot and cold. He blew cold uh, Wembley on Sunday. You're up close and personal with a team each week, every week. You see everything, JP. What's the issue with Lennon Fournette? Why isn't he delivering on his obvious potential? Well, he's had, I think, you know, I don't know. That's a strong question for that. I mean, I just don't think he had a great performance on Sunday. Season's been other... fair enough. Okay, This is maybe the strongest season he's had so far. That is a fair point. So maybe let me reverse the question or, or pivot a little bit. Has he yeah. turned the corner this season, do you think? Are we seeing, are we finally seeing the, the full net we expected to see? Are you confident that it's gonna, he's going to sustain it? I think that's a, that's a better way to look at it. I think um, they, we've seen a lot of things in his game to promise some success the rest of this way. Uh, the way they've called runs are different than the first three weeks. They didn't run the ball much at all, really, the first three weeks. And when they did, they ran it out wide with a, a zone scheme, and he had to make cuts and then go, and that's just not his game. And right. he was plugged up and didn't run well at all. Well, in the next few weeks, you saw a little more straightforward gap blocking and run downhill between the tackles and find a hole and go. He had that success, of course in Denver when he did that and the, the few weeks after that. And they've used him a lot in the passing game. They don't have a, a real tight end threat right now, so he's been good in the passing game out of the backfield. So that's been a, a, a little bit of a change to his game, too. I just don't think it was a good game for him yesterday. I, I'm not going to kill his season because of one game, but I think there are still positives to what Leonard can do and the way he approaches his week-to-week work. 
And I, I, I at some point expect him to be bouncing back, especially if he can get better quarterback play to balance it out. And I sure. think that was part of the thing. They were going to plug up the run and make Gardner Minshew beat them yesterday with basically three receiving options. That was it. They had Keelan Cole, they had um, DJ Chark, and they had Chris Conley. Mm. The other guys you weren't really scared of at all, right? So let the rookie quarterback beat you, plug up the run. That's exactly what the Texans did. They had the blueprint. And they went and executed it. They did, and impressive for, from the Texans. How good do you think they are? Because considering how banged up they were defensively going into to that game, and I guess they have had injuries all all season long. When you've got somebody like Deshaun Watson, I mean, it was incredible to watch it. You know, up close, just how elusive he was. And I was doing the TV broadcast with OCU Manure as one of the, the studio guests, and he was sympathizing, as he'd imagined, uh, greatly with Yannick and Gokwenko, saying that there's nothing else he can, nothing else he can do. He had, he got him, he got him there, and he, and he just slipped and sl- slid away. So, based on the fact they've got one of the most dynamic playmakers in the NFL right now and DeAndre Hopkins stepping up again. Because I think A.J. Boye pretty much won that battle most of the game and then Hopkins rocks up and, and, and gets a sucker punch touchdown. How deep can this Texan side run, do you think, in, assuming they make the playoffs? Well, I mean, you, you hit it right on the head. I think that's exactly what I said on TalkSport 2 yesterday when Ngakwe had him in the grasp and he got away. I, yeah. I don't know what else Ngakwe could have done on that play. I mean, he was there. He had him and somehow the guy stays up uh, half yeah. foot off the ground and throws a completion. I mean, it's unbelievable, right? That's, yeah. his, that's his game, though. He's a tough guy. He's always been... He's always had a little something extra. Remember last year, he rode the bus to Jacksonville with a bad lung, right? And then yeah, comes right. plays, and then so you know that when he's kicked in the eye, he's just going to deal with it and play. That's just what he does. <laughs> he's just a tough kid, and um, not a kid. He's a grown man, and he's a great quarterback, and he's in, he should be in the conversation for MVP if they continue to win football games this year. It's going to be tough. There's some other players, of course. Um, but they're running the ball, too, right? I mean, Carlos Hyde had a big day, a 58-yarder, but – on 18 other carries, it was like 98 yards. I mean, that's a pretty good day at the office Yeah, uh, for a guy who didn't run well for the Jags last year. If they can run the ball like that, you know Hopkins is going to get his, and it's going to be, you know, five, seven catches for 70 to 80. That's holding him down, right? Mm-hmm. He can blast off for a big day if he, if he really can't cover him. But if you hold him in check, they didn't have all their assortment of parts yesterday with Fuller out and all that. When they yeah. have assortment of weapons on offense, this is a dangerous football team. Uh, even with all the injuries on defense, they can still play if they can stop the run like they did yesterday on defense. Yeah, they look good. They look good. Well, all is uh, not lost. It's important, and I guess to your point about Fournette, let's not overreact to a bad game, and collectively with the Jags, let's not overreact to, to a, a defeat. But uh, uh, the next couple... I'll say this. And then, now, the second point, this is, this is the time to start reacting to defeats. I mean, right? Because they're, they're behind it now and they don't, they can't afford to lose much more, especially in the division with the losing to the Texans twice. Um, you get the Colts twice coming up, but, uh, hey, but, you're going to start winning some football games. For sure. But I guess on the, in the AFC, the wild card is much more attainable than, a, uh, you know, with a nine and seven record theoretically, you know, 10 and six should do it, uh, than, than in the NFC where, so even if the division is gone, you know, the Jags put a couple of divisional wins together the right side of 500 then you know they are going to be in that mix when you look at the rest of the the teams that are chasing a wild card they're gonna they're gonna feel they've got a puncher's chance anyway what um one more thing from you 
JP. Yeah. You come to London loads. We love having the Jags here. We love having you here. You've done loads of our, our shows on different networks over over the years. And you've been really close to the development of, of football in, in the UK and the Jaguars in particular. What did you make of yesterday at Wembley and the the volume of, of Jags fans that were there? Because I remember the earliest time or well, the first time you guys came over and Jacksonville was not a well supported franchise over here it is one of the one of the weakest now it's one of the top 10 in terms of jersey sales you really felt them significantly outnumbering the Texans yesterday Texans fans at, at Wembley State it must be pretty good for you being so close and intertwined with the with the team to see the, the popularity and the fan base grow and grow over here in the UK it, it is and I think that was part of the idea about uh, Mr. Khan signing that contract to play multiple years in a row over there and I, I, he says he wants to continue this moving ahead I feel like they're going to be playing games there for a long time so that's not going to stop anytime soon but over years and putting people on the ground there to, to work full time helps. Uh, you cultivate a little bit more of that and year over year you, you see more jerseys at the stadium you see uh, more of the fans coming to events uh, leading up to the game, the pub parties and all that stuff so that's one thing and you know so in terms of the fan base and everybody there I think that's going in the right direction let's put it that way um, but to make it a true home field advantage the team has to learn how to play better over there. I mean they mm-hmm. they Three games there, obviously. Um, lost last year and then didn't didn't show up well at all yesterday. So uh, the fan base is great. Everything's going on. But the team needs to figure out a way to really make this an advantage because it's not going away. They're playing in London every year um, for the foreseeable future. And uh, the, But it's great for the fan base. I love coming over there. I love, I love talking football with people there. <laughs> Yeah, uh, because you, you've seen it's seven years now, right? Yeah, right. Year one was um, this Jags team really didn't have a chance in that game. It was a young team, a lot of free agent guys, just uh, the new staff and a new GM and a new coach, and they didn't have a chance against the 49ers that day. Mm-hmm. They, they were they were outmanned, really. And then you saw that grow a little bit, and they came through in some tight games and won some games there. Um, and I think the fan base is over there has, has come along like that, too. They've grown with the team and uh, learned to love a team that's going to come every year. And I think that's a pretty pretty nice draw for the folks in the U.K., uh, considering there's only a, a handful of games there every year. If you know one team's going to be one of those games, you can latch onto that team. And we're glad to have you. I'll say that. <laughs> we're back at you. Hey, did you make any of those pub parties, given your whistle stop tour? Did you, did you manage to sink a few at any of them? I was there. I, I was there Saturday <laughs> night. No, the Saturday night was the Jaguars UK pub party thing, and uh, Neil Riddles right. and those guys were there. Do I did the podcast with them for two hours in front of the stand. <laughs> awesome. So, it was uh, at the Admiralty down on Trafalgar Square, so that was Saturday evening. A fine um, watering hole it is. <laughs> so I do that every Saturday. I've done that every Saturday for seven years over there. So it's fun to, to meet and greet some people and have a couple of pints and get ready for the game on Sunday. Uh, nice work if you can get it. Huh? And um, I know the Jags fans over here loved, uh, love meeting you as well. You're a uh, well-loved uh, figure over here in the UK NFL scene and we really appreciate you dropping by and, and taking time to chat to us um, as I say on what the, on the back of two hours sleep that was a superb performance so cracking cracking work JP hey, good, to, good to talk to you guys thanks for having me and uh, give us a holler at any time if you need anything it is a done deal look after yourself man alright guys thanks 
Fine work from JP. Fine work, of course, from Ben Isaacs. We've got lots more to come this week, though. On Wednesday show, I and Mike will be back. We're also doing an interview with Alistair Kirkwood, the MD of NFL UK. We're going to be dropping some of that interview on Wednesday show, and then we'll be releasing the full interview later on in the week. So a bonus episode for you on the show this week. So make sure if you haven't already subscribe to us, whichever podcast you listen to iTunes, uh, pocket cars, cars, box, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. If you hit subscribe, you will not miss an episode. We'll see you Wednesday again. Podcast Network.